That's seven. Count them, seven wins in a row for the Baltimore Orioles. They bludgeon Chris Sale, and the bullpen holds it all together for a 5-4 victory to make it seven in a row. I'll recap it all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, April 25th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap another Orioles victory. It is seven in a row for the O's as they hold on for a 5-4 to four win over the Red Sox on Monday night. We'll get you the five things you need to know from game one of that series at Camden Yards. Then we'll specifically take a look at the Orioles' bullpen and how they did on Monday night because they needed to come in to this game and get, well, a solid amount of outs. I mean, 10 outs is solid for a bullpen. And they didn't have Felix Bautista, yet they still did it. We'll talk about those relievers that were used and what's made them so good this year. And then a couple Orioles news and notes with some news on Jackson Holiday, Michael Givens, and Dylan Tate. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. And let us know in the comments, are you an everydayer? Are you here with me every single day to listen to or watch the Locked On Orioles podcast will give some everydayers a shout out on the pod. So let me know if you are an everydayer of the Locked On Orioles podcast. So let's get right to it. Orioles 5, Red Sox 4 is the final score from Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Monday night in game one of a three-game series. The Orioles win their seventh consecutive game to get to 15-7 and seven on the season. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles 5-4 to four victory over the Red Sox. And the first thing you need to know is the Orioles, once again, just destroyed Chris Sale in this game. Now, if you remember, Chris Sale started the second game of the season against the O's back at Fenway Park. We don't want to talk about how that game ended, cough, cough, Ryan McKenna, but how that game started was the Orioles just bludgeoning Chris Sale. They got seven runs off seven hits against him in three innings on three home runs. Now, he did still strike out six batters in three innings because that's what Sale has done this year. He came into Monday night's start with an eight ERA, but he still had 30 strikeouts in 18 innings, which is an absurd rate for Chris Sale, who among qualified pitchers has the highest strikeout rate among starters in Major League Baseball history. That's how good he's been in his career. He has not been good this year. Orioles get to him again on Monday night. Five innings, five runs on nine hits, one walk, and zero strikeouts for Chris Sale. I could have looked it up. I didn't. I'm sure Red Sox beat writers are all over it. I don't know if Chris Sale has ever pitched five innings and not struck out at least one batter. He only got two whiffs. Two swings and misses in this entire game. The Orioles swung at 42 Chris Sale pitches. They fouled off 20. They put 20 in play and swung and missed twice in the entire game. That is not the Chris Sale of old. 
And his velo was up, like his spin rates were there, the stuff was moving well. But the O's just came out there and had eight hard hit balls against him. And and listen, he was spotted a four-nothing lead, which we'll get to. But the Orioles get a, you know, a little bloop RBI single from Adam Frazier in the third inning to make it four to one. Then they get the big three-run inning in the fourth to tie the game, and then one more in the fifth. And Sale was lucky. He actually ended a few of those innings, the third, fourth, and fifth, with double plays. If he hadn't done that, it could have gotten much more out of hand. But the O's, and I mean, they've struggled against lefties over the past year. But something about Chris Sale, they are just seeing him and squaring him up. And listen, Chris Sale, not a good teammate, not a good guy. Very funny to see him basically be cooked at this point in his career. And the Orioles certainly were cooking him on Monday night. You look up and down the Oriole order, everybody had a hit. 13 hits for the Orioles in this game. All was working. Second thing you need to know as we flip to the other starting pitcher is that Dean Kramer didn't have a great start to this game, but he certainly recovered well for the Orioles. Kramer's final line in this one, following up those six and two-thirds scoreless innings in D.C. against the Nationals on Tuesday. He goes five and two-thirds innings, allowing four runs on seven hits, five strikeouts, a walk, and two homers allowed on 87 pitches. It did jump his ERA to 6.2 on the year, and he gave up seven hard-hit balls. But it was really a tale of two games, almost in one, for Dean Kramer. There was the first part of the game where he gave up the absolute moonshot home run to Tristan Casas in the top of the second inning that put the Red Sox up one nothing. The ball that Casas hit 111 miles per hour off the bat, 426 feet to right center field. It was a bomb. And then there was the two-run homer that Rafi Devers hit in the third inning that made it a 4 nothing game that was the first ball that went onto Utah Street this year. That thing was an absolute rocket as well. 115 off the bat for Devers. And it looked like we were seeing the Dean Kramer we saw in the first three starts of the year, including the Dean Kramer we saw give up five runs in three innings in his first start of the year back in Boston against this same Red Sox lineup. But then he settled down, and all of a sudden, he struck out the side in the fourth. He got a one, two, three, fifth, and he did allow a leadoff walk in the sixth, but he got two outs in that inning before coming out of the game, and he really did settle down. And this is a good Red Sox lineup. They can put runs on the board with the best of them. And Kramer wasn't very good. I mean, he only had five whiffs on 34 swings, and four of them came on the four-seamer. His off-speed stuff was really just not there in this game. I mean, the four-seamer was good, and the sinker was good, once again, just like it was against the Nationals. And those were his two most-used pitches. But, like, he was trying to go to the changeup, didn't really have it. He was trying to throw the sweeper. It wasn't really there for him. You know, the curveball wasn't much. The cutter wasn't much. The cutter was the pitch he threw right down the middle that Devers just annihilated for the two-run homer. So he didn't have his good stuff, but he fought through this game after a tough start to it. And that's all the O's need. They need guys to fight through these games and get through five and two-thirds innings to hand it over to a bullpen that's pitching much better. And he did enough to help the O's win this one. Third thing you need to know as we switch back to the Orioles lineup, James McCann only went one for four in this game with an RBI single. It was actually his RBI single in the fourth off Chris Sale that tied the game at four. But McCann was mashing the baseball and has been mashing the baseball and honestly deserved much more. James McCann is only hitting 160 this year, which is honestly just a disgrace to the baseball gods. That guy is hitting the ball extremely hard on the season. He came into this game 
with a 260 expected batting average, despite a 136 real average, that expected batting average is now up near 300, despite the fact that he's hitting 160, because he is just mashing the ball. McCann had four hard hit balls in this game. That was after he crushed his first Orioles home run on Saturday against the Tigers. And he's just getting play after play made against him. In the second inning, he flies out to deep, I mean, deep 380 feet, 100 miles per hour off the bat. Would have been a home run in some ballparks instead of just a fly out. In the fourth, he gets the RBI single. In the sixth, it's a hard hit ground out. And then in the eighth, he should have had an RBI double that gave the Orioles an insurance run with two outs. Runner on first, two down, hits a rocket to the right field corner, 96 off the bat. Should have fallen in. Alex Verdugo makes an outstanding play in the corner to end the inning. Of course, Massa didn't show us a replay, so he didn't get a good look at what actually happened. But that should have been an RBI double. McCann is stinging the ball right now, and he's a nice bat to have in there against left-handed starters. You can catch him against lefties. You can DH Adley Rutschman like the Orioles did again on Monday night. And despite the average, I really like how McCann is swinging the bat. I mean, that RBI single he had against Chris Sale in the fourth that tied the game, that was a 10-pitch at-bat. He just fouled off pitch after pitch, tough slider after tough slider, finally got a fastball, lines it the other way into right center field and ties the game. I've been impressed with McCann both offensively and defensively, threw out a base runner in a big spot in the seventh from his knees in this game as well. I'm liking what the Orioles have gotten out of their backup catcher so far. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that Ramon Arias was clutch again at the plate for the Orioles in this game. Arias was the guy who scored that tying run on the McCann single in the fourth because that was after he had made it a one-run game, lacing a two-RBI ground rule double that one-hopped into the Orioles' bullpen in the fourth off sale that made it a 4-3 to three ball game at the time for Arias just crushing that ball into the left center field gap 100 miles per hour off the bat to get that two RBI double for Arias. It was part of a two for three day in which he had a double, two RBIs, a walk, and three hard hit balls. He's really starting to swing it well. Had the huge hit in Saturday's win over the Tigers with that bases clearing double in the third inning that kind of broke that game open a little bit. And he's still playing good defense. Made a nice catch for the final out of the game in the ninth inning. He is getting things done for the Orioles once again. It's not the prettiest out there, but you know it's only a 744 OPS, but he's heating up. The glove is still gold glove level at third and second base. And Ramon Arias just continues to be a nice little player for the Baltimore Orioles. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that the Orioles had to do some creative bullpen maneuvering in this game. And shout out to Brandon Hyde, who had a one-run game basically throughout the latter innings had Dean Kramer go five and two thirds and had to piece it together with Aiken, Baker, Coulomb, and Cano. Didn't have Felix Bautista available and it didn't matter. The Orioles bullpen shut him down, did not allow a hit over three and a third, only allowed one hard hit ball and got the out. And shout out to Brandon Hyde for knowing when to go to his guys. And the Orioles locked down a five to four win, their seventh consecutive victory. But speaking of that bullpen, I want to dive a little bit deeper into it, especially the performance from Monday night, because the O's bullpen had been very, very shaky early in the year, and it was a reason why they were losing some games. Heck, it was the biggest reason why the Orioles lost that initial series in Boston to open up the season. But the bullpen has pulled it together, and pretty much everyone is pitching well. All eight guys are pitching well in that pen, and we saw four guys pitch well Monday night. We'll talk about what makes each of them special out of the bullpen coming up next. But first... This episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
Now, getting to know yourself, it can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and we're always changing. Human beings, we just never stay the same. Everything is changing seemingly all the time in our lives. And therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk it through. And BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Now, if you're thinking of starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And you just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched to a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no charge. So discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnMLB to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash LockedOnMLB. So the Orioles win it 5-4 to four over the Boston Red Sox on Monday night, taking game one of the series. And once again, seven wins in a row for your Baltimore Orioles, who are sitting at 15-7. and seven. And a big part of the Monday night win was the Orioles' bullpen, which has really just kind of turned things around over the last couple of weeks for the O's. It was shaky early in the year. You didn't really know who the O's could trust. Well, now you could argue that Brandon Hyde kind of trusts all eight guys in his bullpen right now. Over the last week, it was maybe five or six, but then he's gone to Austin Voth and Keegan Aiken in key spots, and they've done well. You could argue the only guy he doesn't trust right now is CNL Perez because he's going through a rough patch, but Perez was so good last year that if he's your worst reliever right now, you're in a pretty good spot. And they've got more reinforcements coming, which we'll get to in a bit. But I wanted to talk about the bullpen usage specifically on Monday night because Dean Kramer goes five and two-thirds. Shout out to him. Looked like it was going to be a short start early. He figures it out. He gets through five and two-thirds. A couple of lefties coming up with Tristan Casas and Jaron Duran. Casas had already hit about a 700-foot homer against Kramer. There's a runner on second with two down in the top of the sixth in a one-run game. And so Brandon Hyde goes to the lefty Keegan Aiken. Aiken comes in, one pitch, Casas grounds out, inning ends. That was it for Keegan Aiken. One pitch, one out, and we'll see it. And Aiken, you know, he does have a 6.35 ERA on the season. And I'm not saying he's been good. But his outing on Sunday was awesome. Came into the top of the 10th inning, 1-1 game, zombie runner on second, and worked his way through that inning without allowing a run, which allowed the Orioles to walk it off in the bottom of the 10th. And Hyde goes right back to him. And again, it's only one pitch. But... I'm not loving what I'm seeing from Keegan Aiken. He's not as good as he was in the first half last year. But he hasn't walked anybody this year. Now, you're going to see two walks on his line. Those are both intentional walks. Those were the two intentional walks that he and Brandon Hyde decided to issue in the 10th inning of Sunday's game so he could pitch around the righties, pitch to the lefties, and he got out of that inning with the zero. When he's actually attacked hitters, he hasn't walked anybody. Now, He's only thrown four and two-thirds innings on the year because he's no longer really truly a long relief guy. He's more of a one-inning guy at this point, maybe two if you're lucky. And some of that's because he struggled this year, so he hasn't been able to get through longer appearances, at least early in the year. But things are looking a little better for him, and Hyde's at least trusting him to face lefties. And, hey, zero walks is zero walks. That's always a good thing. And Aiken, that was kind of his forte last year. I mean, he was in the strike zone all year long, and he seems to at least be doing that again this year. So Aiken gets one out on one pitch, and then they go to Brian Baker, who has been just dominant lately. Dominant. Baker did not have his best stuff on Monday night. You could kind of see it. Now, 
He does throw a scoreless inning, two strikeouts, one walk. But that walk was kind of concerning. After he strikes out Jaron Duran to start the inning, he just had no idea where the ball was going to Connor Wong. He walks him on five pitches, and then Yu Chang comes up. And Baker throws back-to-back fastballs at 91 miles an hour. And so you're a little concerned, right? Because this guy is averaging 96 on his fastball this year. And he throws back-to-back fastballs at 91. So you're not loving that, but he still comes back and James McCann helps him out with a big caught stealing and then he ends the inning with a strikeout. The big reason why he was able to end that inning with a strikeout is because I think, and now StatCast has not said this yet, and I'm waiting for confirmation from Brian Baker on Twitter right now as we speak here at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Monday night, just waiting for Brian Baker to say whether or not he did throw a curveball. I think he threw a curveball. Go check out the Locked On Orioles Twitter account if you want to see the pitch. It was a 1-1 pitch to Yu Chang with a runner on first and one out in the seventh. It was an 80-mile-per-hour pitch that had big spin on it, had the most vertical break of any pitch he's thrown this year, 12 inches of it, and it broke kind of down and away from the right-hander Chang. Chang swung and missed at that pitch so badly that he actually injured himself. He injured his wrist on the pitch and had to come out of the game. He had to come out of the game. That's how nasty that pitch was from Baker. Brian Baker's slider this year averages 88 miles per hour. That pitch was 80, and it didn't move like his changeup. It was not a changeup. It was breaking the other way. It was spinning the other way. That was, I think, a curveball. And Brian Baker, in his big league career, since that one appearance with the Blue Jays in 2021 until now, has never thrown a curveball in the big leagues. He might have a new weapon. And if they all look like that one that he threw, that is just ridiculous. And he got his velo up as the inning went on, and he finished it off with a 95-mile-per-hour strikeout of Christian Arroyo, so that looked good. But Brian Baker has turned things around. He was terrible in the spring, and people were a little worried about him. Then he gave up three earned runs and recorded only two outs in his outing on opening day. Then we were very worried about him. But what has Brian Baker done since that bad appearance on opening day? 11 and a third consecutive scoreless innings for Baker since that bad appearance. That's how you turn things around. Brian Baker has certainly turned things around. The changeup is looking good. He didn't really have command on it Monday, but he's generally had command of that pitch. The fastball velo is looking good. He's got more of a slider than a cutter now, which is good. We talked about last year how his cutter was his worst pitch, and I talked about in the offseason how he needs to turn that pitch into a slider. Well, now he kind of has a cutter and a slider, but the slider's good. And now if he's got this curveball, I mean, how are guys supposed to hit him at this point? I mean, that's how good he has been in those 11 and a third scoreless innings. He's allowed just two hits. He struck out 15 batters and has walked three. That is ridiculous. You look at his baseball savant page, Everything is in the red. Everything is good. Soft contact, swings and misses, velocity, spin, everything you could want. It's looking good for Brian Baker. So he gets a scoreless seventh. Orioles still leading five to four. And then they turn it over to Danny Coulomb, who has been just kind of one of the best stories in the Orioles bullpen this year. Just got him on waivers essentially for cash two days before opening day. They add him to the roster because they wanted another lefty. And what do you know, Danny Coulomb has a 1.00 ERA. He gets a 1-2-3, eighth inning, with a strikeout of Rafi Devers, where he gets him 0-2 on two breaking balls. And then Danny Coulomb just says, Rafi Devers, 
who's already hit a missile home run today, try and hit my fastball. He throws him a 91-mile-per-hour fastball in the heart of the plate, but Devers had no idea it was coming. It was one of only two fastballs Coulomb threw out of 14 pitches in the outing, and he strikes him out swinging. It was fun to watch. Now, Coulomb did come back out in the ninth because Yoshida, the lefty, was leading it off, and he did walk the leadoff batter, which was less than ideal before coming out of the game. But it was still another good appearance for Danny Coulomb. And shout out to Kevin Brown on the broadcast who said this, and I'll, I'll take it from him, but did look it up to confirm. Danny Coulomb, among qualified pitchers, that is starters and relievers in Major League Baseball this year that are qualified, is allowing the lowest average exit velocity of any pitcher in baseball. Remember, the Orioles got this guy for nothing. Essentially a waiver claim. The Twins didn't want him. The Twins, a good team with some bad lefties in their bullpen, just didn't want him. 79.5 miles per hour is the average exit velocity against Danny Coulomb this year. He has not allowed a barrel yet this year. Remember, a hard hit ball is 95 and above. He's averaging 79.5. He's the only pitcher in baseball averaging under 80 miles per hour for his average exit velocity. That is insane from Coulomb. He is fun to watch out there. So he does come back out in the ninth, though, and he walks the leadoff guy, and you're starting to get a little worried. And then you realize you're a little more worried because Felix Bautista, who has pitched a lot lately and did throw a lot of pitches when he blew his save on Sunday the day before, was not available for the Orioles. So, of course, who do you got to go to? But the man who has literally not allowed a base runner this year. The only better story in the O's pen than Danny Coulomb. And it's Yenier Cano. He comes out. Of the bullpen, runner on first, nobody out in a 5-4 game in the ninth. And after one pitch, he balks. He balks the pinch runner, Rymel Tapia, at a second base. And you're thinking, oh boy, here we go. He falls behind the first batter 2-0 after the balk. And you're starting to think disaster. But he comes back. He strikes out Enrique Hernandez with a great two-seam fastball that runs back to the outside corner. Then he gets Tristan Casas to strike out swinging on two nasty change-ups. And then he gets a little help from his defense on a soft liner to third off the bat of Jared Duran. Ramon Arias, the gold glover, makes the play. And Yenier Cano, with 12 minor league saves in his career, including a couple for AAA Norfolk this year, gets his first major league save. Yenier Cano, I mean, it was just sinker and changeup. Didn't even throw the slider in 12 pitches. Stuff was nasty once again. He has now faced 20 batters. He has gotten them all out. The Orioles' record to start a season is 24 consecutive batters retired. Cano's got 20 straight. He's recorded 21 outs because of the double play he got when he first came into the game against the White Sox. Still recorded more outs than batters faced. This dude is ridiculous. And it's nice to have him when you don't have Tate and you don't have Givens and Bautista needs the day off. It is real nice to have Yenier Cano, who has closing experience in AAA, there to close out a game for you. But the Orioles, they may not be without Tate and Givens for very long here. We got some good news on both of those guys, especially Dylan Tate on Monday. I'm going to round up this episode with some Orioles news and notes coming up after this. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by So Rare. So Rare is a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace, transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from across all 30 MLB teams. And unlike other fantasy baseball platforms, So Rare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling, and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards. And win or lose, you still own the cards 
and there is no cost to play. And the MLB game weeks and the contests, they happen twice weekly. And if you rank near the top, you win a variety of rewards, which can include scarcity cards, game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, and VIP experiences like meeting MLB stars. So head to SoRare.com slash LockedOn. That's spelled S-O-R-A-R-E dot com to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup, and start competing today to win epic rewards. Again, that's SoRare.com slash LockedOn to start playing today. So the Orioles win it 5-4 to four over the Red Sox for their seventh consecutive victory with a lot of help from the bullpen, even though Felix Bautista was not available. But they could be getting even more help from the bullpen coming up here because the Orioles got some good news on Monday, or really over the weekend and continued on Monday, about Dylan Tate. We heard last week that at some point this week, Dylan Tate and Michael Givens, the Orioles' two veteran relievers, really the only veterans in that bullpen, who were both on the injured list to start the year, would both be starting their rehab assignments this week. Now, we haven't gotten official word on Michael Givens yet, but we do know that Dylan Tate is joining the Aberdeen Ironbirds tonight on Tuesday to start his rehab assignment. I would assume he's going to pitch tonight. Aberdeen is in Wilmington this week. And Dylan Tate is getting closer to joining the Orioles. I was really worried at one point that Tate was going to have to get Tommy John surgery, to be quite honest with you. It started with a forearm injury. The Orioles said he had it in November. He still wasn't ready by pitchers and catchers. He wasn't going to be ready for opening day. They pushed the timeline back a couple of times. Then they said it might be an elbow issue with the forearm. All of those things generally lead to the last thing being, you know what, he's got to get Tommy John. But apparently that's not the case, which is great news for the Orioles because Dylan Tate has been Brandon Hines' kind of number one go-to trustworthy reliever over the past three seasons. And they, well, they need him a little less now than they did a couple of weeks ago, but they still need him at full strength in that bullpen. Tate last year, 67 appearances, 73 and two-thirds innings. He had a 305 ERA with a 348 FIP, 21% strikeout rate, a 5% walk rate, 57% ground ball rate. He was great for the Orioles. Now, they did say that Tate thinks he needs about five or six rehab appearances before he's major league ready. It'll probably be a couple in high A with the Ironbirds, a couple in double A with the Bay Sox, maybe a couple in triple A uh, with the Norfolk Tides. It could mostly actually be in Bowie just to keep him in Maryland, not have him go to Virginia. So it could just be Aberdeen and Bowie. Now, five or six isn't going to be five or six games. He's probably not going to pitch any back-to-backs maybe until the very end. So this could take a couple of weeks. But give him two weeks of games, and by the end of next week, he could be ready to go to rejoin the Orioles. And that is huge for this bullpen. And then, you know, we hear that Michael Givens is not far behind in starting his rehab assignment as well. By early to mid-May, it seems like Tate and Givens are both going to be back. And now that raises the question... Who's going to lose their bullpen spot? Because the relievers have been so good. And you probably want to say Voth and Aiken, but Voth doesn't have any options. And both of them are kind of your only long men. Tate and Givens aren't long men. You'd like to have one in the bullpen. You'd like to say it's CNL Perez because he's been the worst reliever lately. But Perez is also out of options. And you don't want to DFA Perez or Voth because they have good stuff and they're going to get claimed immediately. So the others are going to have some tough decisions to make. Now, sometimes guys get injured. Maybe guys will start pitching worse in the next two weeks. The decision will be a little easier at that point, I would think. But who would have thought a couple of weeks ago that the O's would have some tough decisions to make when Tate and Givens came back? But that's where they might be a couple of weeks from now. We'll keep our eye on these rehab assignments, and hopefully they both stay healthy and get back to the Orioles pretty soon. 
But Dylan Tate joining the Ironbirds is not the biggest Ironbirds news of the week because they're also getting Jackson Holiday. So this seems to be a really good time to watch the Ironbirds. They might have Jackson Holiday, Dylan Tate, and Michael Givens all on the team this week. Jackson Holiday officially promoted to High A Aberdeen on Monday after just raking in Delmarva. Remember, he went to Delmarva at the end of last year, dominated, started the year at Delmarva this year, because again, he's 19 years old, so you don't want to push him too hard, even though he was the number one pick in last year's draft. And all he did was dominate once again. I mean, what do you expect from the kid? In 13 games, he had 65 plate appearances for the Shorebirds, just a casual 392 average with a casual 523 on base percentage and a very casual 667 slugging percentage. That's a 223 WRC+. plus. Let me say that again. That is a 223 WRC+. plus. That means he was 123% better than the average low A hitter. He's just ridiculous. The batting eye is incredible. The power is great. Read a good article from John Mioli in the Baltimore Banner last week about how he, he tweaked some things a little bit to get more power than almost immediately had a two-homer game. He's playing good defense as well at short and second. He's fun to watch. He's a 19-year-old. He's going to high A Aberdeen. He's on track to get to Bowie by the end of this year. And if he keeps playing like this, he's going to be in the majors at some point in 2024. That's how good he is. But again, Aberdeen, they are in Wilmington, Delaware this week. Not a terrible drive for some of you, but I believe they are back in Aberdeen next week. There's your time to go see Jackson Holiday. But it's funny, you know, I feel like this is the first time since the big league season started that I have really talked about the minors at all because the Orioles are winning games. They're 15 and seven. We're, we're sticking to the big league team here on the podcast. That has been the case the last couple of years since I've been hosting, but it's fun that it's the case now as the O's took game one from the Red Sox. And now they'll look to win another series coming up tonight, another 635 Eastern time start. Corey Kluber is going for the Red Sox. Orioles hit him around on opening day. He's got an 8.50 ERA on the season. That, my friends, is not very good from the veteran righty Corey Kluber. It's been rough for him. His last start, seven earned runs over five innings against the Minnesota Twins. And he'll face off with Kyle Bradish, who threw six scoreless in his first kind of full start of the year against the Nats on Wednesday. And then I'll be back tomorrow for a Wednesday pod breaking down game two between the Orioles and the Red Sox. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.